What is the perfect story? Hell if we know. But join us tonight for a special edition bonus episode of The Midnight Myth, where we'll be hosting a battle royale of your favorite characters and locations in all of storytelling. It's the Boomerangarang. Sorry, we've been away for the past two weeks while we've been traveling abroad. Uh-huh. Uh, we decided that we were going to do a bonus extra fun episode to all of our adoring fans, and we hope you enjoy it. Let's go. So here's what it is. This entire episode is a game. What we have done is we have taken um, uh, 12 different heroes, villains, historical figures, uh, people we know, and we put them in a hat. One at a time, I'm going to draw one and Laurel's going to draw one. Then in a separate hat, <clears throat> we have 10 different locations that these two figures are going to battle. And what we're going to do is we're going to create an argument to see who would win the battle. Um, we don't know what each other put in the hats. Right, as a complete surprise. Um, yeah, but like I said, anything goes, I could, you could put a real person in the hat. Uh, we could put a fake person. It could be a character from a myth, from a TV show, a book, and, uh, it's going to be a battle of nerd debate. Yeah. And we're going to try our best to come to some kind of consensus with each other about who won these battles, but we would love your input as well. If you think that one of us got totally off base, feel free to rip us on social media or uh, throw your support behind the one of us you think crafted the better argument. We would love to hear your input on these battle royales. Without further ado, let's draw our first characters from the hat. Woohoo! All right, so I have drawn... It's literally a hat, by the way. Julius Caesar. I have drawn Lego Batman. Oh, this is... All right, so now where will they be taking battle? I will draw the first battle location. Laura will draw the next. They will be battling in New Jersey. Oh, my God. (laughs) Julius Caesar versus Lego Batman in New Jersey. Uh, Laurel, would you like an opening argument? Yeah, you know, I don't think I have to say too much in opening this uh, battle. If we're in New Jersey, it is safe to assume we are in the present day or somewhere in the in recent history, is that right? And you want to put a king of ancient Rome up against one of the greatest superheroes. <laughs> Dictator for life, thank you very much. I would appreciate if opening statements were not rebutted in the middle of the argument. Please uh, wait your yeah, turn. I'm sorry. That's a very good point. Uh, I get minus one point, I even a, though we don't have a point system. I need a buzzer. Good yeah, good point. So sorry. But you want to put a dictator for life of the ancient Roman Empire 
against Lego Batman, who has happened to keep the peace in Gotham City, one of the most crime-ridden cities in all of fake America. And you want to drop those two in the middle of New Jersey? There's no question. We're going with Lego Batman. Opening statements on your side. Friends, New Jerseyans, Legos, lend me your ears, except for Legos who don't have any. Julius Caesar, the seduer of Gaul, can't defeat a toy? Get out of here. I've got one thing to say. If you can bring the whole of the Roman Empire under your thumb, you are a brilliant, bold, charismatic, ingenious leader. You are so superior to any toy, even if it's an, a talking toy. Julius Caesar will take out his Roman sword and run him through. End of story. And all of New Jersey will bear witness. I'd like to, uh, I'd like to ask you a question. How was it that, uh, that Julius Caesar met his untimely end? He was murdered by many of his closest friends and supporters. Murdered by his closest friends and supporters. It, it doesn't seem to me like your closest friends, advisors, and supporters would run a knife through you. Like, that, that just doesn't add up, right? Doesn't seem like they're really your friends or advisors or supporters, does it? They are most certainly actually your enemies. You yeah. are correct. You know, when we, when we talk about Batman, we can't do it without talking about Alfred we can't do it without talking about Jim Gordon. We can't do it without talking about Robin. And if we're talking about Lego Batman, the beautiful legacy of that family created by Lego Batman, Alfred, Barbara, and Jim Gordon, and little Dick Grayson, those people love him and would never betray him. And Forces joined on the battlefield, New Jersey. They can ride that Batmobile into the sunset and defeat any enemy that comes to them. The Joker or Julius Caesar. Caesar, when he conquered Gaul, slaughtered one million Gauls. Why? Because he could. He is a man of a ruthless vision, unlike any Lego Batman has ever had to contend with. He defeated Pompey Magnus, which is Pompey the Great, he brought an empire to his, uh, to, to essentially to become his personal empire. That is amazing. And his one weakness, I'll agree with you, is that he gives clemency to his enemies. That's his one weakness, something Batman would do well to learn, that at times it's better to make peace, even if that peace kills you. I don't know where I'm going with this. I think Lego Batman wins this one. <laughs> How do you oh beat my Batman? God. I mean, I'm trying. Wow. I'm trying. Lego Batman, you, you had a good point there with the friends. Oh, my he, God. He's got a pretty solid entourage there. Yeah. You know, I mean, the only thing that I could say is we're assuming that Lego Batman and Julius Caesar are the same size. But if they are Lego sized, uh, then, you know, he just needs to run them over with a chariot. It, yes. So in that case, yes. Or in New Jersey, you know, a, a Pontiac or something. Right. All right. I think we're going to give Lego Batman the win on that one. We're going to give Lego Batman the edge. We didn't even make it to closing statements. I thought you had a very good argument there, and I appreciated it. Very oh, much. I was pulling it straight out of my fucking ass. So was I. All right. So let's pick the next one. Uh, my character is Samwise Gamgee. 
and my character is Elsa from Frozen. Oh boy! All right, and um, what's pick, our battlefield? Pick the location for the battlefield. District Twelve. Okay. We are battling at District Twelve from the Hunger Games. All right. Uh, you did the last opening argument. Do you mind if I take this one? Go for it. Elsa is beautiful. Elsa is powerful. Elsa can command the power of winter, something uh, that anyone would have a tough time contending with. She could take District 12 and pour it into uh, eternal dark winter and summon lots of monsters because she can create life in these snow creatures. We've seen the awesome power of that, but I've got one question. Could she resist the power of the One Ring? Does she have the willpower to pick up the One Ring when it falls and give it back to the Ring Bearer? Can she, at the very edge of all power and evil, help a friend defeat evil permanently and forever, ushering in the fourth age of Middle-earth? I will say this, my friends. No, she couldn't. Raw battle for battle. Yeah, Elsa has a big edge. But when it comes to grit, determination, spirit, and true self-sacrifice, is there a better character than Samwise Gamgee? No, my friends. No, there isn't. And that's why in the cold winter apocalypse that Elsa brings, Samwise will find a way to get it done. I want to talk about Frozen for a moment. And I want to talk about Elsa's role in Frozen. And the first thing I want to do, just just lightly, is to is to comment on one of the points that you made here, which is, would Elsa be able to resist the power of the One Ring? Which is a very valid question. Because Elsa is a very powerful woman. And Elsa doesn't have a lot to tie her down and hold her back, except one thing, herself. Have we not heard her mantra, let it go? Very good point. Literally, <laughs> let it go. Also, she couldn't really wear the one ring because she's always wearing gloves. Uh, but one thing I, I want to talk about here is is who Elsa is in her heart and who she is within the broader uh, category of storytelling because it's hard to say sometimes. She's uh, She's a queen, and she's a queen in a Disney movie. And being a queen in a Disney movie often makes you the villain. And the story this is based on uh, the Snow Queen. She's the villain. But in this movie, she's also a hero. And she commits an act of self-sacrifice for her sister. They sacrifice themselves for each other. An act of true love that's, that's purer than any, anything two hobbits can share. And I hate to say this because I love I love Samwise Gamgee. He is a he's a pure soul and a great soul. But what is he? Is he a, a hero? Is he a villain? He's a sidekick. And I'll say one more thing about Elsa. And the battlefield we're talking about is District Twelve. And this is an important detail here. District 12 is a place that is ravaged by poverty, that is on the outskirts of an empire that sacrifices its children, much like in the original story of the Snow Queen. Now, Elsa 
coming from this experience she's had, locking herself away and, and not sharing her power with anyone and not sharing her feelings with anyone. Once she's come through this and learned to love, wouldn't she become a benevolent queen for District 12 and open the doors and let everyone live together? So I ask you, the question is, would she win the battle? But I think the better question is, should she win the battle? And the answer is yes. I will rebut that very quickly and I think very succinctly because that was a great point. But there's a gaping hole in your argument. In order for her to channel her powers, she would bring District 12 to a icy apocalypse. In this icy cold with the starving, downtrodden, and beaten District 12, they will turn to the mayor of Hobbington, Samwise Gamgee, and he will personally lead the revolt against the brutal tyranny of the Ice Queen. And yes, it takes her to sacrifice her sister in that movie for her to uh, realize how to control her powers, but we're talking war here. Elsa versus Samwise, and every weapon she would utilize at her disposal to win. And I think grit for grit, Samwise would be the exact person that you'd want in District 12 saying, enough is enough. We will march through the cold to the wintry gates of Elsa's ice palace, and we will burn it to the ground. You make a beautiful point. You truly do. I ask you, though, what was the name of the president of the Capitol and the 12 districts? Snow. President Snow. Mind fucking blown. Elsa has the power to control snow and to control ice and to freeze the hearts of anyone in her way. So, were Sam to lead this revolt against the Ice Queen, the Snow Queen, wouldn't she just freeze his heart? All right, I think uh, I think we are. I think we're at a a, a bitter tie it's here. It's kind of a stalemate. We're at a bitter stalemate. I think it's best to maybe move on to our our next. I really want to hear what everybody thinks about uh, those arguments, and please let us know if you have a, a point that we didn't bring up. Absolutely, Samwise versus that one Elsa. was fun. That got intense. Yeah, that was. I'm re- not letting that one go. Yeah, you know what? You know what? That's because uh, you're you're losing, and that's what you do when you're losing oh, a debate. Wow! Wow! Burn the Ice Queen! All right, I'm picking my next character, Kermit the Frog, versus Jean Valjean. Oh my goodness. If you're not familiar, <laughs> Kermit the Frog is the frog from the... I'm kidding. Um, Jean Valjean is the protagonist from the uh, seminal novel by Victor Hugo and the uh, very epic and important musical theater piece, Les Miserables. All right. The battlefield will be Yoga's small kitchen in his hut on Dagobah. <laughs> oh my God. So Kermit the Frog versus Jean Valjean <laughs> in Yoda's small kitchen. It is hot on Dagobah. This is so they have a few square feet in which over. they can they can battle. This is just over. I will admit a sort of wrestling match with Jean Valjean and Kermit the Frog. It doesn't look good for Kermit right out of the gate. 
It odds, doesn't. Odds are on that Jean Valjean will strangle the hell out of that little Muppet. But it's I'll true. do my best. Opening statement over here. Go for it. I think you raise a valid point when you say that the odds on favorite for a physical match in this small space is Jean Valjean, the incredibly strong former slave who who would carry the French flag over his shoulder, much like the image of Christ with the cross, who lifted a carriage to pull a man who was crushed underneath uh, from, from the jaws of death, who uh, carried a poor... Uh, wounded boy from the barricade during the June Rebellion and saved his life and dragged him through the sewers. It's, God damn, he's a good hero. He's a really Holy good hero. Holy shit, he's amazing. But I think the bigger question here is, what is the true battle between Jean Valjean and Kermit the Frog? Because I don't know if it would be a battle of strength or uh, prowess or a physical might. I think it would be a battle of morals or a battle of wits and here we find ourselves on a more even playing field and that's why it's in the kitchen of yoda the great philosopher so we'll have these two great philosophers jean valjean and kermit the frog going tete-a-tete in the kitchen of the greatest jedi master and that's my opening statement i wanted to change Mm. change the perspective to give this a new, uh, fresh, fresh look. I think Kermit stands one chance and one chance only to beat Jean Valjean. And that is to charm him with a sweet and adorable song that teaches a life lesson. And then while Jean Valjean's singing along, shank him in the side with a knife from Yoda's kitchen, right in the kidney. Oh my God. (laughs) You know, I think that's his only chance that he has at beating Jean Valjean at anything. Because Jean Valjean's pretty fucking tremendous. He's super strong. He's super smart. He outwits uh, Javert at every turn in Les Miserables. Uh, he raises a beautiful daughter. He saves the life of his daughter's fiance, even though it hurts him because he realizes his daughter is no longer his. Uh, he's pretty fucking remarkable. So I think Kermit has one chance, and that is to charm him with a song when Jean Valjean's not looking pick up a knife and shank him in the side. You know, and my client, Jean Valjean, has never been shanked in the side before, so I think it would be a dangerous blow, and I, I think he would he would fall flat on the floor of, of Yoda's little village on Dagobah. Uh, but here's the question I have for you now. Yes, we know that Kermit can charm us with his sweet little songs about rainbows or how it's not easy being green, but... One day more. Yeah. What another if Jean day, Val- another destiny. What if Jean Valjean just charms Kermit? <laughs> and he's just like, whoa, this guy's really good at singing. And maybe then he just breaks been, his neck. Maybe we've been looking at this all wrong and it's just a battle of song. Maybe they just sing and whoever, well, Jean Valjean wins that one too. Maybe it's a rap battle. I, I, can Kermit rap? I guess why not? Kermit is pretty great. I don't know if Jean Valjean can rap. No, he He's a few can't. hundred years he's, before rap was a thing. And he's French. You know, but yeah, I, yeah, I think Kermit has to go with surprise and, he, you know, I just he have the image can, of Kermit shanking someone in Yoda's <laughs> in my head and I can't get it away. He can hop around pretty fast. Not really. He's a Muppet. He needs, <laughs> he can't really hop at all. But, you know, he can ride a bike and yes, Jean Valjean cannot. Yeah. You know, 
Kermit's really good at managing a whole bunch of other Muppets on a stage. I just don't know his, his, how well he would do in a battle. I know how well Jean Valjean will do. Jean Valjean's pretty amazing. Yeah, but Jean Valjean would also pardon Kermit at the end of it and be like, go on your way, I won't kill you. Uh, that's a good point. You deserve to live. And then that's the moment where, and I'm arguing against myself. Here, yeah. That's the moment where Kermit would be like, <laughs> and shank him. Yeah. That's what would happen is, is they would, they would be like, we're not going to fight today. And Jean Valjean would be like, don't ever come after me again. And I'll let you live. And then Kermit would shank him. And then Kermit will shank him. I love that Kermit is shanking. So Kermit wins. Yeah. Kermit wins. So, so far we have, we have the first one. We have Lego Batman beating Julius Caesar. We have a tie between Sam Wise, Gamgee, and Elsa. And we have Kermit, yep. Kermit the Frog, beating Jean Valjean. I mean, the shank thing. There was no beating it. Next All one. Right. Ooh, I think I got two. All right. So my next character is Barf the Mog, half man, half dog from Spaceballs, played by the amazing John Candy. And mine is the doctor. Oh boy, God, that's not Please even fair. Tell me, tell me the battlefield is not space. That's just not even fair. The battlefield is space. It's the the Wampa's cave in Hoth. Oh, okay. Well, it's a Whoa. cave. Yeah. Yo, this is this just got interesting. Yeah. This just got interesting. All right. So my opening argument. I guess it's my turn for an op- if I'm keeping yeah. track right. All right, so Barf isn't really good at much. Can't really control his tail. Though, he is furry, so that, that helps him That's in That's what Hoth. I was thinking. It's very, he, so he will probably be much warmer. So I think his strategy against the Doctor, who is a genius, um, who has annihilated galaxies, um, and also done it while charmingly saving the day... I think his strategy would have to be run around the caves, have the doctor try to chase him, and hopefully the doctor's just not wearing warm enough clothes. Eventually the doctor gets cold and Mog comes in and then strangles him with his tail. That's, I think, the only chance Mog has yeah, you're, in the uh, Wampa Cave. You're relying pretty heavily on this element of surprise when the cards are stacked against you, huh? Well, I mean, it's my, tough. my character's John Candy. Your character is an immortal Time Lord. It's true. So Which that, doctor <laughs> am I is the question. Yeah, so I wrote that one. I left that open because yeah. to me, like, you know, it can be whatever doctor you want. Yeah. I think I'm David Tennant. That's just what I see. The 10th doctor, right? The 10th, the 10th doctor. doctor. Uh, I think I'm David Tennant on Hoth. Uh, and and yeah, I think what, what I'll say about this battle, it's it doesn't look good for John Candy. No. It doesn't. Uh, the doctor's pretty fucking badass. But but the thing is the the reason it's a challenge is because the doctor in the in the reverse of what we had in our last battle doesn't have the brute strength or brute force of a, a giant animal. Uh and doesn't have, you know, the uh, the resilience of the warmth of a shaggy furry thing in this Wampa's cave in Hoth. Here's the other thing, though. Whose side is the Wampa on? Oh, I don't know. We're just at his cave. He might not be on anyone's side. Because there's a reason we're in the Wampa's cave and we're not just on Hoth, right? Yeah, we're probably trying to get warm. Yeah. 
Or maybe the Wampa drug us both there. Maybe. And does the Wampa already, does the Wampa still have both his hands? Or no? I don't know. Big questions. Huge questions. They can totally swing the battle. It's true. Let's, let's say this. Let's say the Wampa is not a factor. Either way. Wampa is not a factor. Yeah, let's, let's neutralize are, the Wampa. We are in a cave where Luke has at one point taken advantage of the Force. So we know that there are no like interference signals stopping the Force or other electromagnetic type frequencies and other forces of the universe. I'll give you that point. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Sonic I'm down. Sonic screwdriver, man. Sonic screwdriver. Yeah, I'm fucking... I wrote barf, and I'm, I was hopefully, hoping you would get barf. Yeah. Because, like, what the I fuck? wrote Kermit the Frog, hoping you would get Kermit the Frog. Hey, I turned that one to my advantage. You sure did. Barf uh, is tough. Yes. Uh, so, 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 yes. This is, this is how I feel about how this battle would go down. Uh, Sonic Screwdriver is the doctor's weapon, and it, it's not much of a weapon. It pretty much does what it needs to do in unlocking doors and... Uh, identifying creatures and helping the doctor to, uh, you know, manage his uh, plans, which they usually are. They're all like circuitous schemes that get him to the other side or, you know, moments of just incredible bravery. But the doctor's true advantage in any, uh, in any situation is his TARDIS. And that's his, uh, his vehicle that gets him from point A to point B in space and time. And it's bigger on the inside. And, as we can most likely assume, it is does have central heating. Yeah, it's probably pretty warm in the TARDIS. But here's another thing I would say about how the battle would go down. He's out there with Barf. And Barf is the is the the half man, half dog that has the brute strength to win this battle. But has the doctor ever killed a monster without truly understanding it? No, no. actually. And he usually never kills the monsters. Unless there's no other choice. It's true. Or typically someone else will kill the monster and he's there to comfort the monster. Right. Because we learned the monster is not really a monster. Yeah. And so I think the doctor would win this battle in another way. I think the doctor would help Barf to understand why he has these violent tendencies and is chasing the doctor around. You know, he would help... Hold on, my whole strategy oh, yeah, is was that he's running way away from the doctor. Running, why... I don't know. Uh, But he would help Barf to understand himself and find the planet that he came from and the rest of the other Mogs. And so I think the true winner here is the man who brings peace to others. I've got nothing. That's a perfect argument. Um, Let me try something. Um, Yeah, so because, you know, Barf is susceptible to reason. He has a highly cognitive functioning ability we know this because he can pilot spaceships. We see him help get out of jams. And uh, if the doctor is completely outmatched, I think he he is also, Barf is a coward. So I think, you know, he would it's probably true. be like, uh, okay, yeah, I'll just go with you back to Mog Planet. Yeah, yeah, the doctor wins. Yay! The doctor absolutely wins. Doctor wins. All right, so we only have four more. I'm picking for you. I don't know why I did that. Sorry. That's we only have cheating. two more battles. Is that what that means? Yeah. Yeah, we're almost done. Whoa. Okay, I have Giles, which I would assume would be the librarian from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Rupert right? Giles, yeah. Okay, Giles is a good one. And I've got Tony Soprano. Oh, great battle. 
Tony Soprano this is a versus really good battle. Child. Oh wait, hang on. You're choosing the battlefield. Oh, I'm choosing the battlefield this time. All right, so let me get the battlefield. It's not New Jersey. It's Themyscira. <laughs> yes. Hell yes. This is a very strange place for these two characters to be battling. Hell yes. I men feel, do not belong there. I am very confident right now. Give me your opening statement. So uh, just for, for people's uh, information, Themyscira being the um, the land of the Amazons from Wonder Woman. Um, and Giles is Rupert Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He's the librarian and the watcher of Buffy. Um, A certified badass, who, like, too. trains her. And then Tony Soprano, of course, is um, the uh, mob character from The Sopranos on HBO. Yep, he's the boss of New Jersey. And I have only seen season one of The Sopranos, so that's all I can go off of. Cool. All right. So uh, who's my turn for opening statements or yours? Uh, I think it's mine. Go for it. I'm going to pull this one right out of my butt. Um, okay. I can go. I'm ready if you if you want to pass the opening You statement. go ahead. So Giles is known for being incredibly intelligent, having uh, strong research capabilities, organizationally strong, works well within the organization of the Watchers, and is a warrior at heart. And warrior who does what? He trains female warriors. Now suddenly you put him in the Ooh. magical land of Themyscira. He's going to fit right in here because Ooh. A, he's okay with women being more powerful than him already. So he's going to be in the land of Themyscira learning the ways of the Amazon. Presumably he went to Themyscira to learn to become a better watcher so he goes to where are the best female warriors in the universe, Themyscira. He is going to fit right in there and make himself indispensable in the Themyscira monarchy. Enter in a mobster from North Jersey who has all sorts of backwards masculine ideals, who doesn't respect or value women in any way, shape, or form. I don't even think he would get to Giles because the Themyscirans would kill him. But let's say for the sake of argument, he is able to get to Giles. Giles is trained in all types of hand-to-hand combat. He's good with crossbows, guns. He's defeated monsters and demons. He owns a magic shop. He knows magic. Uh, Tony Soprano will pull out you know, his little revolver that he keeps on him. Giles will dodge said shots until that's gone, until his gun is empty. And then he will run him through with the variety of magical weapons that the Themyscirans will have available to him. Tony Soprano has no chance beating Giles. He might have a chance if it were any other place, but in Themyscira, done. Giles wins hands down. Okay. Um, you have, yeah. So, so yes, the answer is yes. Giles wins. Uh, however, I'm going to do the best that I can to poke a couple of holes in the argument that you have made. Please do. Uh, because I put Giles in there and Giles is one of my favorite characters ever. Uh, Buffy is my favorite show of all time. Um, but there's a couple of things that you said that I just want to re-examine. And the first thing is that Giles is, uh, organizationally minded and works well within the organization of the watchers. This is simply not true. Uh, Giles may be a type A tor- sort of person. He is a uh, a librarian by nature. He is an academic. 
Uh, he has, has studied his entire life to do this. Um, but he's fired from the watchers because he does not work well. I had a feeling you bring that up. Because he's petulant, because he becomes too attached to his charge, because he has no perspective or objectivity when it comes to training Buffy. He is removed from his post as her watcher uh, and later has to actually rely on Buffy to get him reinstated because they've continued this friendship, this sort of unhealthy father-daughter kind of relationship with a high school girl. Sort of a red flag there, isn't it? There's other things about Giles that raise some concerns about his ability to fight this battle on this battleground. What was the last time we saw Giles surrounded by a number of women? It was, I think, at Dracula's castle in season five of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, when the uh, vampire women who live at Dracula's castle uh, laid one finger on him, glasses were off, shirt was unbuttoned, he forgot who he was, and he was just like, yeah, go nuts. I'm hanging out with all the girls. Giles is not is not particularly strong when it comes to taking the uh, taking control in these kinds of situations. Giles also has an explosive past. Uh, as Ripper was his his nickname in high school when he was a teenager, he was called Ripper because he was a total he like he and Ethan Rain were like into dark magic and working all kinds of weird spells and going crazy through the streets of London. Like he's not a particularly reliable character. He also walks out on Buffy when he needs her the most. Uh, and this brings me to my final. You know, I'm not even going to touch Tony Soprano. Um, <laughs> um, but this brings me to my final point, and it, it takes me back to when I said that he needed Buffy to help him reinstate his position as a watcher and get his salary back from the Watchers Council. Giles doesn't fight his own battles. In every important battle, he's there. He's, he's, a, he's a key player. But they're Buffy's plans, or they're Willow's plans. He is far from the most powerful character on that show, and he is is far from as powerful as any of the women. So what Giles would need to win a battle on this playing field would be the ability to win over these women. And I don't know if going into a world where the women already have the power and don't need a man to train them, I don't know if these Amazons would accept the leadership of Giles because they've been teaching themselves for millennia. Excellent points. But um, the argument, I have to say, is deeply flawed. And I will say it's deeply flawed because all you've done is proven your extensive knowledge of Giles as a character. Uh huh. And that's great, but you haven't given a single notch to why Tony might be able to do any of the things that Giles could because do better. Because he can't. Because Giles wins. Giles um, wins. I'm just trying to. Uh, I'm just basking in the glory of, yeah, of me Giles winning. Giles absolutely wins. I just think you know there's there's some leaps that have to be made for him to be able to win a battle on that uh and on I, that particular battlefield. But, but and his main weakness, though, as you articulated, is his relationship with Buffy, who's not here at this point. So his biggest weakness you've articulated is how much he loves and cares for Buffy when he should have very little empathy for her and treat her just as a weapon that he is preparing for a war, 
right? His inability to do that hurts him in the show. Buffy's not at Themyscira, hence his weakness doesn't come with him. Hence, I think he would be very adaptable and uh, be uh, be very comfortable comparatively to Tony Soprano. Yeah, well, yes, comparatively to Tony Soprano, absolutely. He would I just fare wonder, better. I just wonder if Giles showed up on the shores of Themyscira and was like, "Hey, I train women to fight. Uh, can I can I get in with y'all guys? I think they would eat him." Well, if they would eat him, then they, then would, they would certainly eat Tony Soprano they would too. Crucify Tony Soprano and then eat his flesh. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go into the last battle. Let's just do a quick score. So Giles beats Tony Soprano. Absolutely. That's one for me. Yeah. Um, Kermit the Frog beats Jean Valjean. I gave an you amazing, that one. I totally um, gave you that one. Um, an amazing come from behind victory. <laughs> that's that's two for me. Uh, Mog, or Barf the Mog, loses to the Doctor. That's so one doctor for you. Doctor is one for me. Uh, Lego Batman beats yep. Julius Caesar. Lego Batman is a win for me. And then we had the tie, which was Elsa versus Samwise. Yeah, we called that a stalemate. So whoever wins this one. Are we two to two? Or we're two to two oh with a God. tie wins the game. So I'm going to go in first. We only have two left. So I'm going to pick one of the two. Please be kind to me. Yes. I have Hermione Granger. Badass. I have Obi-Wan Kenobi. Badass. So the two were definitely the two best are saved for last, and we're going to pick the battlefield. The battlefield is. <laughs> Please tell me it's one of the ones I wrote. It's the room of requirement at Hogwarts. Yes. <laughs> God. Yes. 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 So damn I, it, I did Obi Wan Kenobi. You wrote Hermione Granger. I wrote the room of requirement in Hogwarts. God damn it. Super, super advantage to Hermione. Um, yeah. Uh, so opening opening statements? Opening statements. Really, this is going to come down to, on home turf, what's more powerful, a wizard or a Jedi? It's a huge question. That's a big question. We could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah. All right. I'd like to prepare my opening statement. <clears throat> By all means. A long time ago. In a galaxy far, far away, there lived a man named Obi-Wan Kenobi, known to some as Old Ben Kenobi. And Obi-Wan Kenobi was a good man with a good heart. He was the protege of one Qui-Gon Jinn, played by the, uh, the immortal Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson's. <laughs> Liam Neeson's. <laughs> throwing you off your game with my Liam Neeson's. Yes. <laughs> and Obi-Wan Kenobi was a Jedi. One of the last. One of the last great Jedi, of course. Trainer of Luke Skywalker. The trainer of one Darth Vader. The greatest villain the galaxy has ever known. Here in One Man, in Obi-Wan Kenobi, we have the two great forces that make up all of humanity, the dark and the light, both sides of the one energy that Obi-Wan taps into to move through life and be a force for good. How many times have I said force without referring to the force? That only shows you how powerful the force really is 
and how it moves through all of us, whether we are a Jedi or a young Padawan or Jar Jar Binks or a senator or a witch, a muggle-born witch at that. The force moves through all of us, and we have a choice, the dark or the light. And Obi-Wan Kenobi, who was struck down at the hands of his own protege, lives on in all of us. So in battle, what would we find in the room of requirement? The room of requirement is the room that is for its seekers, whatever you are looking for. We would find the heart of the galaxy, the heart of the force. We would find Obi-Wan there, and he would win this battle. Very poetic. So I think on a even playing field in a non-wizard-centric battleground, this would be pretty even with slight odds to the wizards already because in the Harry Potter universe, the powerful wizards, we've talked about this before on the podcast, are pretty goddamn invincible unless they're going up against the other most powerful wizards. Um, They control time. They can control space. Hermione Granger is the sharpest witch of her age. So we're not dealing with a standard wizard. We're dealing with an ingenious wizard. Now, the likelihood that Obi-Wan Kenobi and Hermione Granger meet and come to battle is very slim. They would probably get along, being both of sound moral character, being both uh, custom and and used to overcoming great challenges. Obi-Wan Kenobi is average on the Jedi standard. And I know it hurts saying that because we love him. We all love him, but he's an average Jedi. He is not exceptional in any of the Jedi ways. At no point ever in a Star Wars story is Obi-Wan Kenobi the main catalyst or hero, save for when he slices Darth Maul in half. That is awesome. His most exceptional moment came in the prequels in one of the worst movies ever made. Yet, I don't need to list Hermione Granger's accomplishments and her achievements because they're insane. She has done so many things. By herself, Hermione Granger is one of the greatest witches in the magical world. Her exceptionalism is one notch, I'd say, that we give to her. One, two, Magic is better than the force. (sighs) The power of the force is limited to telekinesis, a little bit of precognitive combat abilities, minor levels of mind control. That's what you can do as a Jedi, right? Those are your magical powers, right? Hermione's magical powers start from time travel to levitation to shooting uh, any type of magical beam that can harm, injure, or maim, disarming someone's weapons. I, I, I could keep going on and on. Drinking magic potions to trick her enemies. The arsenal of things at Hermione Granger's fingertips are insane. Now, let's put it in the battlefield, the room of requirement, giving a witch or wizard that which they require. So at any point in time, if the battle is not going her way, 
here comes the room of requirement to, to give her another edge. So let's say uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi uses the force and he, I can't even imagine how could the force even injure a wizard? I don't even know how it could. He would have to run her through with a lightsaber. Uh, yeah. And she could just hop on to a broomstick, fly around him in this gigantic room and just hit him with stun spells until one gets through and he's done. Hermione Granger wins, hands down. And I would say, easily. Wow. So, you know, I think we're in an interesting place where we're, we're debating Hermione Granger versus Obi-Wan Kenobi because something you said was about Obi-Wan being an average Jedi and being not the main character, not the hero, not the catalyst for any major events of Star Wars. And I think to a certain extent that's true. But I'd say that's true about Hermione Granger as well. Hermione is... You think she's average? I'm not saying she's average. I'm saying she's not as exceptional as you think she is. And saying this is difficult for me because she's one of my favorite characters of all time. Oh, we are we kind of have flipped because we really have. I was really hoping to get Obi Wan Kenobi. I was hoping to get Hermione. You know, uh, so so I'm having to yeah. argue against her, and I'm having to argue against Giles, and this is very and Kermit the Frog. This is very difficult for me. Um, but there's a reason it's not called Hermione Granger in the Goblet of Fire. You know, Hermione Granger in the Sorcerer's Stone, because Hermione is is an academic genius. Yes, genius is a word that you used in describing her. But genius is a word that we use to describe people like Albert Einstein, who, if you'll remember... Invented the atom bomb. ...did poorly in school. Hermione does exceptionally in school. But is she exceptional outside of those abilities? Does she actually enter with the truest bravery of the brave hearts like Harry Potter and face off with the greatest wizard, uh, the, the most horrible and evil, powerful dark wizard of all time. No, she doesn't have as much combat experience as even Ron. Ron has actual more combat experience than Hermione. Hermione knows the spells. She's read all the books, but she doesn't have this all in practice. She didn't fight a dragon. She didn't breathe underwater. Now, who's got real-world experience on different planets, in different climates, in different, you know, electromagnetic balances? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Who is actually able to manifest their consciousness as a freaking force ghost after they're killed? Obi-Wan Kenobi. If Hermione were killed, the only way we would ever see her again, and I hate to say this, is if... Harry Potter had the resurrection stone and was like, oh, here's my little, like, fake force ghost of Hermione who can't do anything. Okay. I completely and totally think that's a bullshit argument. You are, we're talking, you're arguing the merits of the character, where I, whereas I am arguing the merits of their abilities. The merits of the character, still, Hermione stacks up to Obi-Wan and overtakes them both are side characters. Both are there to support the protagonist and get the protagonist to where they need to be. Hermione is able to do that through the entirety of the movies and the books. 
Obi-Wan is able to do that through one movie and then a few scenes where he comes back to communicate as a ghost to give important information. Hermione is, if her job is to help the hero win, God damn, does she do that amazingly? Yeah, she does. Amazingly. Now, if Obi-Wan's job is to help the hero win, yes, he helped the hero win by sacrificing himself to give him time to escape, teaching him a little bit about the Force, telling him where Yoda was. I would submit that Hermione is more significant to Harry Potter's journey than Obi-Wan is to Luke Skywalker's journey towards ultimately defeating the the true and most powerful evil. Luke has to learn to be a Jedi on his own to do it. Harry has to lean on his friends to do it. And the reason his friends are there and the reason that they're helpful is because they represent different things that Harry himself is not tremendous at. Harry's not book smart. He's not a good planner. He's bold. He just goes with the flow and just dives right in. It's Hermione putting structure to everything that Harry does that gives him the ability to be successful to ultimately defeat Voldemort. It's not Hermione's job to defeat Voldemort. It's her job to help Harry do it. Just as in it's not Obi-Wan's job to defeat Darth Vader. It's his job to help Luke do it. Hermione does it better. And keep in mind this. Obi-Wan is a mentor. Hermione is a friend. Very different types of relationships. Two, at the end of the day, right, when the battle is thickest, who do you really need to have on your side? Your friends. And what is Luke Skywalker's weakness? His faith in his friends. But it wasn't his weakness. His friends are the ones that got him through it, just as in Harry's friends are the ones that got him through it. So I would say that their relationship to the protagonist, I still give a slight, very slight edge to Hermione. And if your central argument is it's about who was better at their role in their story, well, you know, you got to give it to Hermione. I don't think that my central argument is who was better in their role in the story. And I oh, think it's okay. important to come back to where we are and the battle that we are fighting between... Two amazing characters, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Hermione Granger. Agreed. Two incredible characters. Two of the best. In the room of requirement at Hogwarts. And I'll, I'll submit for your consideration a little analogy here. Say I'm applying for a job, and I send in my resume, and you send in your resume as well. And the job is for... You know, like a copywriter or something like that. All right, let's write and, the copy. And Woo-hoo. you've got you've got a degree in copywriting. You've got a master's degree and a PhD in copywriting. And I don't. I have you know like a BS in uh, English, Bachelor of Science in English. Is that a thing? Yeah, sure. All right, cool. But uh, when it comes down to it, and you read my resume and you read yours, and they're pretty, they're pretty similar in terms of actual experience. You know, my experience might be a little more real world than yours, but you've got the degree, you've got the smarts, you've got all the knowledge, and you could go in and do that job tomorrow because you have every single piece of the puzzle. But I've been doing it for years. 
And when we get to this battle in the room of requirement, it's not a competition between resumes. It's the final interview. It's the one sting of that lightsaber that's going to take out my girl Hermione Granger. Because I don't think Hermione Granger, in all of her book smarts and all of her studying, is going to pull that trigger. I don't think she's going to say Avada Kedavra because she's never done it before. So you're saying that Hermione can't kill Obi-Wan, but Obi-Wan, since he's been at war, could kill Hermione. Big problem here. Jedis do not kill. Yep. And Obi-Wan, as far as we know, other than Darth Maul, hasn't ever killed anybody, right? His entire uh, career as a general is against droids, machines. So if it came down to who would be able to kill the other, right? We have to ask that question on a few different layers. One, functionally, who has the skills to do it? Two, weapons, who has the better weapons? And then three, it then would be will, who would have the will to do it? I would submit that both of these characters are so good. Will is their weakness for both. So that's a wash to me. They both will have a tough time killing the other, right? Because they're both not killers at their heart, right? So I think that's a wash. But then when we look at the weapons, a lightsaber is an amazing weapon. I'd still take the wand over the lightsaber. Yeah, I would too. If they're equally skilled at both, the wand just does more. Right? It just does more things. And Hermione knows every fucking spell. And it's not academic, right? The academic is one part, but to be the smartest witch of her age, it's about execution. Can you do the spells? Point, you know, like Lingardium Levioso. And they see that everyone knows the words academically, but only the people that can really summon the magic can do it. Hermione was always the best at actually doing, learning, and doing. Except for writing a broom. She couldn't do that. Well, you know, she's not perfect. But neither is Obi-Wan. So I think it comes down to the weapons. You got to... So the will to me is a wash. The weapons, you got to go with the wand over the lightsaber. And then when it comes to powers, magic seems, in both of these worlds, it seems to have much less limitations than the Force. So if it comes down to... Who is standing over the other and who's actually going to pull the trigger and kill? That's, that's going to be tough for both of them. But, you know, if, if Hermione saw Obi-Wan and he was wearing like a big cloak and he looked like a Dementor, uh, yeah, she would totally kill him. I wish I drew Hermione. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish I drew Obi-Wan. Um, are you giving me this one? Did yeah, I win this one? I'm finally giving you this one, but I could do this for the rest of my life. The Rocky theme song. Derek wins. He wins the battle. All right. Well, hey, listen, you guys have a say too. If you think there's something we overlooked, if you think, especially if you think things could tip the scale in my favor, please respond uh, at www.themidnightmyth.com. Drop us a line on the website or tweet us at the Midnight Myth on Twitter or uh, check us out on the Facebook. So, uh, can I say now that I have officially won and we uh-huh. agree, mm-hmm. you missed such an opportunity with Obi Wan. 
Well, you're fucked. The opportunity, the ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. My whole argument was that the Jedi have limited power. There's no reason to believe that. The Jedi could have unlimited power when called to it. I'm just saying that would probably be, if I were you, the, the weak point. We've in my just argument. never seen that in practice. So I can't really argue that and, and feel good about it. Anyway, it's been a lot of fun. This is a bonus episode. <laughs> um, we're back, guys. There'll be lots of more podcasting to come. Yay. Until next time, be kind. Be kind. Mm-hmm.